Welcome and thanks for listening to another episode of Shiro Cafe. In this episode, I talk with Marianne Gianval from the TUI Group. Marianne did a presentation last week at Digital Elite Live about the six steps to to create an experimental culture. And I definitely want to follow up with her on that. So here we are. My name is Gide Jansen and welcome to Shiro Cafe, the podcast where I show you the behind the scenes of optimization teams and talk with their specialists about data and human driven optimization and implementing a culture of experimentation and validation. In case you missed it, in the previous episode, I spoke to Raul Doreswamy, who kickstarted the COVID-19 conversion rate 8 package. And you can listen to that episode on the Shiro Cafe website or in the podcast app you're listening with right now. This episode of Shiro Cafe is made possible by our partners Online Dialogue, Sidespect, Content Square and Convert.com. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 19. Oh, and before we start, this week we're adding a special new section for you at the end of the episode, so make sure to stay on until the end. So Mayan, thanks for joining us. Uh, you have a Bachelor in Data and System Science, so I'm very curious, what are the things from that background that are still most useful to you today? Well, hello and thank you for, uh, for having me. Um, that's a good question. I mean... Studying computer and system science, we, first of all, I think they kind of nailed the first course because it was a double uh, amount of time course where we studied everything from like ITP servers uh, to the hexadecimal system, uh, being able to understand binary code, basically. Uh, (laughs) So they got rid of a lot of people (laughs) in the beginning of the course. (laughs) Uh, basically it was a selection course selecting (laughs) the right students for for continuing the course something like that uh might be smart though because i mean it's always good to understand how things actually work like from the ground what are the building Mm -hmm. blocks for everything digital to work the way it does and i think that kind of understanding will will you will become greater at whatever you do within digital if you do have an understanding of how it works from the bottom up. With that said, we did a lot of uh, programming as well, of course, both front-end and some back-end, which, of course, I mean, has been a great advantage for me working within CRO because I've been able to build, like, all the A-B tests myself, basically. Um, And I've noticed with so many other companies, organizations and people that when it, you can have like so many great ideas, but the development part of it is like always the bottleneck. Um, but it hasn't been that way for me. So I think thanks to that, I've been able to advance and just create this, you know, high velocity testing um, and being able to push a lot of experiments live because I've been able to code them myself. And with that understanding, I always knew how long will it take for me to actually develop this experiment and get it live. So just from that, I had the greater understanding, basically. Yeah, yeah. So, But uh, at university, did you get um, courses in, in, of course, in, in programming? But were is it the same programming language that you use today to uh, build the A-B test? Uh, because that's that's a comment at least here in the Netherlands that I <laughs> that I hear from a lot of people. Yeah, we get programming at the university, but it's totally different than what we actually use in practice uh, to build websites or build A/B tests. Right, and I get that. I mean, with all organizations and companies, you kind of choose your framework to work with. And I had the fortune uh, at university to actually study basic. HTML and CSS, but also plain on JavaScript. And JavaScript is basically all you need to build tests. So that was great for me. Um, And we also did some Python, which, of course, I don't use that much now. But being able to understand the uh, how to significantly calculate uh, your tests and what our data scientists are doing to uh, be able to build like a monitoring tool through Python has helped me a lot because we can have a good conversation around it. Yeah, so in, in the whole uh, debate, Python versus R, I think I know where your preference lies. 
Well, I don't have a preference that much because I'm not the one to build it. But if I can have the understanding of it, I think that helps the conversation a lot. Nice. So I was wondering, so how did you acquire the nickname Queen of Zero? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a good question. Because you already got that at your first job, right? <laughs> yeah, it's that's crazy. Impressive. Uh, I actually, I worked at a company called iProspect. Uh, and in that company, we had a small team called, uh, we named it the duck team. It's spelled D-A-C, not duck as a duck, but it's pronounced exactly yeah. the same. It stands for uh, Dashboards Analytics CRO. We were a very small team with like four people or something. Mm -hmm. uh, because at that time, like six years ago, not that many were working within these areas, you know. And a co-worker of mine, out of nowhere, I guess I want to say, because I don't know how he came up with it, but he just started calling me the queen of CRO because I guess they were so amazed with what I was doing. Or, well, I was the only one working with CRO at the office at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so then you automatically become the queen. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and he kind of spread it around. So I guess it's thanks to him. And uh, that's how I got the nickname, basically. Exactly. And uh, so, and t today um, uh, you, you moved uh, to uh, TUI in the meantime, and today we're talking about the six steps uh, to get your experimentation culture running. I think that's uh, that's uh, a topic that uh, are of interest uh, to a lot of CROs, uh, especially when they work uh, in a company uh, by themselves or just a small team and have a lot of people to convince. Um, but before we dive into uh, those uh, six steps, to get a sense uh, of, of your role at, uh, at TUI right now. So what does your current team look like? And uh, yeah, can you share a bit of uh, what you're working on right now? Yeah, of course. So today I have a, a split role at TUI actually. Uh, so I work 50% as the uh, CRO and UX lead for TUI Nordics. Uh, and 50% of my time, I work as a CRO manager for our global function within TUI called TUI Group. Mm -hmm. uh, so they serve, of course, two different purposes. In my Nordic role, I'm responsible for uh, the team that works with CRO and UX. Uh, this team has been built up um, through the past year, basically. We, uh, uh, or the organization made the uh, decision um, last fall, so about half a year ago, that CRO and UX would actually be together. Uh, before that, it was only CRO. Uh, yeah. But since they're so close related and within my, my study at university, I also studied interaction design. So UX is very closely related to, to me and what I know from before. So for me, that made total sense, you know, uh, to merge those two together. And from that, we built the team. So basically, what we did have was uh, two CRO specialists, uh, two UX designers, two UI designers, uh, one analytics person, and one dedicated CRO developer uh, who worked like cross-function to the product teams uh, that we had. I yeah. say that's how the team was and what that did look like because... Um, because of the corona pandemic that we are in, there have been changes. And I uh, did post about this on, on my Instagram, so or sorry, my LinkedIn some time ago, which has been really hard for all of us, and especially, you know, being in the yeah. travel industry. Uh, so there are some team changes right now, and we will need to build up again once we uh, get out of this but that's the structure that we have had and that we are going to have uh, when we get out of this yeah i can imagine uh, especially since you're in tourism uh, a lot of changes uh, in uh, in customer behavior and uh, uh, the revenue won't have been uh, favorable for you i can imagine exactly yeah um, so uh, let's get into those uh, six steps uh, um, uh, to get your experimentation culture running um I think it makes sense to maybe quickly uh, mention the, the six steps uh, first before we uh, dive into them. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's be a hero, um, uh, running masterclasses, uh, uh, results. Uh, number five is uh, uh, what I've learned this week. Uh, or that was number four. Number five, zero showcase. And number six, the the monthly dashboard. Mm -hmm. So let's start with, uh, with be the hero. Yeah. 
<laughs> so what's it? So what's that one about? Uh, uh, you need to be the zero hero of your company, maybe the queen even or king, <laughs> depending on uh, what you want. Uh, actually, this is a little um, uh, a little tweak to this one. It's a little mm -hmm. foolish, actually, because I do display first, like be the hero, yeah. um, but it's not actually what I mean. Uh, what I'm trying to um, get people to understand here is that. You need to be very humble in this role mm -hmm. as a CRO specialist in whatever organization you're at. You need to be humble about what you are doing and what you are changing on the site. And by that, you need to involve a lot of people and always learning, uh, preaching as well, but teaching your stakeholders and people close to you about what CRO is, like why we're doing this, teaching them about the users and, and how it could work. Um, and by doing that and getting people more involved, you are giving them the insight that they need in order to make the right decisions, right? That's basically what CRO is. Uh, but when you're doing that, you kind of feel maybe like the hero, but what you're actually doing is you're making the people who you work closest with to be the hero themselves, because they can reach out even further to the company and say, our web developers did this, and we know that this is the right way to go because we have this data on it. And then they can show that what they are actually doing right now is the best possible choice. Yeah. So, so it's so not you, about you being the hero. It's about yeah. making everyone else be the hero, basically. Exactly. You need to be the invisible hero, the, the, yeah. the person that enables others in the company. Yeah, so you can give them the insights needed and the recommendations and the data and basically the knowledge to be able to make them make the best decision. And uh, you said in your presentation, uh, not everyone will like you <laughs> when you start with the zero. So I'm yeah. very interested in the personal story behind that one. <laughs> <laughs> How did you know there was a personal story behind it? Uh, there is, definitely. Um, I can. There are several, I could say. Yeah. Uh, and... Um, it's very common. I think you have to understand coming in as a zero specialist that you will not be a very liked person to start with. Uh, so let's take the example that happened at TUI. Uh, I started there about three years ago. And you know how it is when you come in like your first days and you're walking around with like your boss or someone and getting introduced to a lot of new people, some UX designers, some product owners and then we walked around to say hello to the developers. Um, coming onto one of the teams that worked with the, uh, the CMS of the site, I said hello to a guy called Emil. And I got introduced saying, this is Marianne. She's our new CRO manager here. And at the time, we had this A-B testing and personalization tool called Frosmo, which had, well... Uh, had some issues, maybe not the tool, <laughs> but the people behind it uh, yeah. before me. So I was introduced with the word saying, this is Marianne, uh, she's our new CRO manager. And Emil's response was, oh, you're the new Frosmo. <laughs> <laughs> so you were already uh, many points behind. <laughs> yes, definitely. Before starting, yeah. Oh, yes, definitely. And I mean, I'm kind of grateful that he said that in one way because it made me uh, reflect uh, a lot upon like, okay, so this is not an issue with me, of course, not personally, but it is an issue that has been here before. So I needed to understand like, what are those issues? How come you don't trust the tool? Or what is it that you don't trust? And why are you calling me a tool's name? Is it really the tool or is no. it something else? You know? Good to know. <laughs> yeah. Sitespect biedt wereldwijd een unieke AB-testing, personalisatie en product recommendation oplossing. Sitespect werkt server-side, dus zonder tags of scripts, waardoor een optimale performance gegarandeerd is. De Sitespect-oplossing elimineert vertragingen en kans op flikkereffecten. Tevens zorgt deze aanpak ervoor dat de huidige en toekomstige browser security regels, zoals ITP en ETP, geen impact hebben op het AB-testen en personaliseren met Sitespect. Voor meer informatie hierover ga je naar sitespect.com. Ja, yeah, en I think a lot of um, 
uh, also with uh, with developers when you start out, um, they see this as an as an extra uh, thing on top of their work. Right, you, you're creating extra work for them, which they not necessarily like. Uh, well, after hopefully after a couple of months, they might realize, hey, uh, but the CROs are actually um, uh, trying to validate and and uh, test stuff before we build them <laughs> or we build like an MVP and uh, not the whole thing, but just an MVP. And that actually saves money. Yeah, definitely. I think like I, I totally get the developer side of things. I think it's a big fortune that I kind of come from that side as well, yeah. because, you know, a lot of people working with CRO uh, are creating A-B tests on top of a code that is actually built by developers first place. And they are the ones who are responsible for if something breaks, like everyone will call them and yeah. they might think of, oh, maybe this is this test. I need to call our CRO specialist <laughs> about it, but they are responsible for it. But maybe they're not interlinked all the time as well as they actually should be. Uh, so you really do need to think about that relationship. And I mean, making an A-B test is just manipulating the code that is already existing on the website. So, I mean, learning how to code dynamically for A-B testing so that you can kind of safe, safe it so that you don't actually ruin the code on the site if they would make like an update or a release or something. That's essential for having, I think, a, a secure, a, more risk-free CRO program. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so, so your second point uh, is running a masterclass. Yeah, exactly. So, so what's that one about? So uh, at TUI, we have masterclasses in-house. Uh, everyone has them, like whatever kind mm -hmm. of area you're working uh, within. So when I had created, I mean, some some not bus, but you know, the closest stakeholders basically knew what CRO was. Uh, then I asked if I could set up a masterclass just for like CRO to spread like the knowledge, because I mean, that's one of the most beautiful things with CRO is that it's so easy to show. It's so easy to like show inspirational cases from like Google or Netflix or uh, whatever great companies that are really driving this experimental culture. Um, so, I mean, just taking that um, and so, so do people, can they follow that from the whole company? I mean, uh, your company is not in one office. So is it like an online masterclass that people can follow? Is it like on demand or uh, periodically or how does it work? Uh, we do it physically and also we do it on uh, online. Okay. Uh, so it's live. So because yeah. I want to have that kind of interactive class whenever I'm basically doing stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and also we have so much material now that we have tested all over TUI. So basically in that masterclass, I can also like ask them, so what do you want to see? Because whatever area you're working in, you're interested in some part of the site, right? So yeah. then they can say, okay, I'm interested in the checkout. Then I can just like that, show them five tests that we did in the checkout so that mm -hmm. they can get a greater understanding about what they actually care about. And I think that will make the learning more fun as well. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and how do you get people then uh, to sign up for the masterclass? So uh, we have an intranet where all the masterclasses are. And at TUI, we uh, have like 40 learning hours every year. So it's like they really promote you going to these masterclasses to learn about all areas within the organization, which is great. Okay. Um, so you can sign up, uh, for those just there, or I also like tell people because some, some people come to me and they're like, Oh, I never see when they are on, on our intranet can just like give me a note when, when you have them there. So <laughs> yeah. you have to help out. It's well. already in your, in your, in your business culture to go to masterclass is already yeah. a thing, right? So it's not just the zero masterclasses. There are masterclasses for all kinds of different topics. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, if you don't have that within your organization, I mean, a masterclass is basically an email invitation, a room or a digital setup and a PowerPoint and you. So, I mean, yeah. you can do it. Uh, you can just say, I'm having a learning session for, for CRO, for our company. Sign up for it. It doesn't yeah, need to exactly. be that structured. Yeah. And how often do you do those uh, masterclasses? I do them like uh, four to f uh, three to four times a year. 
Okay. Uh, so quite often, but so in in the beginning, like more people will obviously come, and then it yeah. will kind of slow down. But as I also want to say, is like keep that up and don't like don't let them go. Of course, you can do fewer as time goes by, but always keep them going because new people will come to the company, and yeah. you want them on the same page too. So don't care that less people come because I mean you wouldn't go to the same masterclass twice either, right? <laughs> exactly. No, so it's a, it's a similar masterclass uh, each time, but especially for the new ones, it's really interesting to invite those, right? Uh, to get them into the mindset of, of experimenting. Yeah, because there you really have the chance, right? Yeah. Because they're new coming into the company to show them like, this is how we really want, want to be and how we want to act and the culture we want to set. Those are easier than the ones who have been with the company for 20 years. Exactly. <laughs> And then uh, the third one, um, the results and sharing those. So how do you do that? The results is a kind of a, a tricky one that um, I kind of uh, set into into several steps, just that one actually, because mm -hmm. I mean, the results is everything when it comes to the work of CRO. But mainly what I mean is that when you first do your like, the first a b tests um just gather like all the closest stakeholders um after every a b test is executed and sit down with them to actually like show them the depth of the data and the insights and also here again teach them about it like yeah. don't only go through like the the top findings teach them about what happened what did we change in behavior And also all of these stakeholders have like their own uh, darlings, <laughs> everyone has. So if something has <laughs> yeah. changed, they probably will ask you like, okay, so more people signed up to the newsletter, but uh, how many logged in? Because that's my darling, I want to yeah. know. Uh, and then you can actually show them that you're so good at what you do and go into that analysis tool and show them the numbers while you're in the meeting. Because then it also shows the, the depth of what you can see. And you can also open up the floor and say, do you have any other questions? Look at all this data. We can find out anything. And you will get better ideas as well. Because you learn from the organization what's important. Uh, yeah. So that's one of the most important things I would say about results. Uh, just taking that time with the people. I mean, 50% of the CRO work is basically people work. <laughs> so really engage with them yeah. um, and also then later on that like open up the results to everyone and be transparent about them uh, so that you you also get to share everything that you've been doing but when your stakeholders have that understanding of the results then let them see everything else you've done because then they can deep dive themselves uh, and grow even, even more yeah And, and and about opening up those uh, those results for everyone, uh, how do you do that? How do you give access to everyone uh, to those results? Are there certain tools you use for that internally, or? Uh, so we have a documentation online, uh, mm -hmm. which is basically a link that anyone within Tui can access. Yeah. So we have it in Atlassian, okay, uh, yeah. which is really convenient uh, for the documentation, and some have it. Uh, in just a OneDrive folder or anything that you can share with the organization basically works, I would say. Then we also have like a, a bigger like monitoring tool that mm -hmm. is also just with that link and the two VPN, you can, you can view everything that's online and how all the experiments are going right now. But we actually didn't kind of, we didn't release that to everyone until maybe two years after I began at TUI. Yeah. Because seeing experiments when they are running, like as a stakeholder <laughs> and the product owner, yeah. seeing one experiment, you're like, oh, look, it's up 20% after two days. They will like take actions on it directly. And we all know that. Werk je aan een front-end AB-test en heb je ook last van de bekende flikkeringen in je variaties? Dit kan natuurlijk je testresultaten beïnvloeden en een positief testresultaat neutraliseren. Probeer Convert.com's AB-testing software die Smart Insert technologie gebruikt en die flikkeringen voorkomt. 
vijf keer snellere support via 24-7 chat, de helft goedkoper en het bedrijf is daarnaast maar liefst 15 keer carbon positive. Je doet dus jezelf, je bedrijf en de volgende generatie een plezier door hun website comfort.com slash sneller eens te bezoeken. Ja, yeah, so, so there are, if the culture isn't there yet, there are, are risk in, risks in sharing all the data, right? In, in showing yeah. if, if they don't have the context on what an experiment is, how it should be run and, and uh, how that works, it's, it's difficult. It might be, it might be um, um, working against you if you share everything. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think you should be very careful and understanding what are what is their level of knowledge compared to like what are you showing them? Yeah. I mean, in the beginning, I was really like not sharing anything basically. So, you say, for example, let's say you have executed an A/B test, you have it finished, and you do the analysis. Then you invite the stakeholders to that like first meeting or you're going to go through the analysis in that like meeting notes or invitation i will not i i would not share the powerpoint presentation with them at first at all or any results Mm -hmm. i want to be there to explain the results to them not just send them on the paper because everyone will interpret that in their own ways especially when you are not used to seeing these numbers so at the beginning i was very like holding back with what I was showing and then as time goes by and again when you have when you have been teaching them and and when they have learned more and more and their knowledge is getting bigger then you can open up more and more as well so it yeah. goes a bit hand in hand you have to yeah. be kind of careful about that I think exactly be, be aware of the of the level of knowledge of your direct colleagues and, and the people you're yeah. showing this uh, this to okay and um, um, so you use it lessons for, so is, is it does it make it searchable is it searchable for people in Atlassian the the results uh, from the from the test how do you how do you handle that I mean that's an issue that I see a lot of heroes struggling with uh, I have all these maybe powerpoints uh, but how do I make it searchable so that in a year I, I can still find <laughs> the test that I did yeah no I think that's very hard I think a lot of that knowledge lies within the people who actually made the a b test right yeah. uh, which is dangerous for the organization and I think that's really tricky where we don't have a great solution right now. We're looking into some of them um, and we're doing that on on the group level, uh, which yeah. is the more like strategic uh, zero role. And um, yeah, I'll take any tips that anyone possibly <laughs> yeah. had because we're looking into several different possible solutions. Uh, exactly. I mean, I have like a big vision. I want it searchable with labels. You know, you want the winners and losers. You want everything to be searchable. I want all the tests from the past three months on the start page, which were winners only on Facebook traffic, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. We all want that one. Yeah. Um, so uh, on to number four. Four, it's uh, it's the weekly meeting that you do uh, and, and sharing what you learned this week, right? Or yeah. not necessarily you, but your team. Exactly. And that's kind of the point that you said. It's not me. I have nothing to do with this meeting. Uh, the only <laughs> thing I did was to set it up. Yeah. And I kind of didn't even do that because I kind of stole it from Luke Roblevsky at Google. <laughs> yeah. uh, I heard he was doing this with his team and I really loved the idea. So I thought, why not try it out? And uh, everyone loves the meeting. So the meeting is basically all about what you learned this week uh, about the user. So it's a Friday meeting, a little fun thing to close the week, basically. And it's a people meeting. This is the chance for everyone within my team or anyone else, for that matter, who works with a user at TUI to be able to get in there and show what did you learn this week about our user? And that's a place where we share, of course, of course, all the results that we have from the A-B tests uh, that closed that week. But it could also be like new user tests or heat maps or some other insights you have about like the whole user journey, basically. Uh, and it's also the important thing here is that this is a place for the people to actually shine and lift up. Like, what did I do? What, what did I do this week that I want to show off? Uh, and not be as humble anymore. Just like share it and brag a bit about it and get applause and we're all happy for you. And uh, yeah, just want to bring that kind of fun and exciting feeling to it. Yeah, 
And and uh, as I understood, those those weekly meetings also lead to uh, a weekly newsletter, right? Yeah, exactly. So after the meeting, I send out the, the CRO weekly, mm-hmm. uh, which is basically containing like what new tests are live, what tests are still live since last week, and what what tests have been finished and which have been analyzed. Yeah. And that's just a real, it's a one page, one pager per experiment, basically. Uh, so it's short, but it should be just an overview of uh, what the website is looking at right now, because everyone is so dependent on what the website is. And when you have exceeded a bit in your experimentation program and you have a lot of experiments live, a lot of them like taken down and then pushed back up and so on. It's a lot of changes that's going on. Yeah. And I've noticed I'm getting more and more questions from like from developers or from customer service or from other parts of the organization saying like, is this a test? Is this a test? Yeah. Is it, it, might, it might be an A-B test, you know, because everyone is getting different variations of the site. Yeah. Uh, so this is a way for everyone to be able to see, okay, what's the current setup of the site yeah. this week? Yeah. And also things that are not a test. That's that's usually my experience when you start with a company that didn't do any A-B testing before and you start A-B testing. Then after that, it, as when everyone knows there's A-B testing going on, everything that's going, ro- going wrong on the website, every every little mistake, <laughs> it's, oh, let's, let's ask uh, the A-B testing team or person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, no, it's totally like that. Yeah. Uh, so... This is proven to be really helpful, actually. So how do you, uh, I think a, a struggle, at least I have, and uh, I know from other CROs, uh, when, you, when you're trying to engage those those people, so you have a CRO newsletter that you send out to uh, uh, to the company, uh, how do you balance what you, if, if you overshare, they won't be reading it after a while anymore. They, they, mm. they don't know where to look. I mean, it's, it's not the only newsletter people will get that, that week. Um, so uh, how do you balance that? How do you, how do you, what do you share? And are there specific things that you don't share in the, those newsletters to not overwhelm them and to have them keep reading what they, what they need to read? Yeah, so it should be very clear and very short, mm-hmm. uh, this newsletter. Um, if they're interested in more, uh, they have like a link in the newsletter, which takes them to the documentation pages for kind of these tests. So this is basically very simple overview. Like this is the start page. These are the search tests. This is the checkout and that's it. And even like, I don't, I want to make it clear even from like the start of kind of opening, uh, opening it up, like what are the highlights so that people who know that, oh, there's an highlight within my area, I should check on that. But if you're not highlighted uh, that week, basically you don't have to check it if you don't have time. So you okay, should make you it like it. really quick for people to understand. On to number five, the zero showcase. Oh yeah, the showcase. I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like all of them, of course, but the showcase is fun. Uh, the showcase is something I started with and have done at many workplaces now. Um, it's a place at you, we started with it about two years ago. Um, and the showcase is a monthly meeting basically where Mm -hmm. everyone's invited. It's, uh, both online and offline. Um, and what we do there is that we show off the greatest things we have learned by AB tests, uh, during this month. And it's just a great place for. As you said, like these newsletters and weekly meetings, like you don't want to overload people with information, mm-hmm. right? But to have something once a month where everyone can come, that's enough for a lot of people. The ones who are not on the newsletter or don't come to the weekly meetings, the ones who are a bit further from the CRO subject, but are still interested in what's going on with the site, you know? Those people are the ones who come to the CRO showcase. Yeah. And even kind of our board members and very high management uh, people also come to these meetings. And uh, so we had that within two in Nordic for a while. And then I had a conversation with uh, with a colleague from Belgium. And he asked me, like, can I join your showcase next month? And I'm like, yeah, sure. By the way, do you want to show like a test then? Since you're like joining, <laughs> you're like a guest. And they're like, yeah, okay, let's do that. And the next month, 
uh, I think it was in the Netherlands who also wanted to join. And I said, well, do you want to share a test too then maybe? And then it was, it felt like a Eurovision show or something like <laughs> <laughs> calling out yeah. uh, mar different markets and like, welcome Germany. Um, but then we just decided to rebrand it basically and make it into a global CRO showcase. Uh, and to not like sit there for five hours to talk about all the tests that we yeah. did, we said that each market can show like two to three tests that they have learned the most from, uh, good or bad, but learned the most from during this yeah. month that they want to show. Yeah, exactly. That, that was uh, what I was wondering. So it's not only the winning test that you show, right? No, 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 no. It's both the good, bad and ugly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, of course. The ones you learned from the most are often the losers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Online Dialogue is al tien jaar een toonaangevend CRO-bureau waar mensen, kwaliteit en kennisoverdracht centraal staan. Ze zijn een specialist omdat ze zich alleen richten op optimalisatie en klantgedrag. Het team zorgt voor online groei en waardevolle inzichten in je bezoekers en optimaliseren samen met jou de verschillende onderdelen van je CRO-programma zoals websites, salesfunnels en customer journeys. Voor meer info ga je naar onlinedialogue.nl And then we have the uh, the sixth one. Um, steps to get your experimental culture running. The last one is uh, the monthly dashboard. I, I assume that's connected to the monthly meeting. Uh, yeah, it is absolutely. They're both done on a monthly basis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no, <but> uh, <laughs> the the monthly dashboard is something that we have worked a lot with during the past year. Uh, and I would say it has come from the, the global CRO role that, I, that I've had for a while now. It's a way of trying to show higher top management what is the actual value of working with CRO. Like yeah. the million dollar question, you know. Uh, and we have agreed to, to some uh, primary KPIs that we are always looking at. So in this monthly dashboard we show how many tests were executed this month, uh, divided uh, by market, because we still worked work uh, divided by each market. So that's the one thing we're looking at. Uh, and then, <clears throat> sorry, we're also looking at something called uh, margin attribution value. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to look at if we would uh, implement this test a year ago, how much margin would we have earned? So it's like a prediction ah, okay, yeah. modeling yeah. Uh, that we're working with, with the tests that are the best and winners. So that's a margin revenue number we can actually bring forward. But we also, I mean, as I said, like the losers are often the ones you learn the most from. So we also do, uh, on, on the opposite side of it, we also do the margin loss prevented. Yeah. So we okay. calculate the losing tests and how much we've actually prevented Tui from losing because yeah. we didn't implement <laughs> didn't the bad implement, shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of the, the monthly dashboard that we're displaying. But in there, we're actually also doing like a bit of a fun twist to it. So we're also displaying the monthly winner. So that's one A-B test from all the markets that is announced as the winner for that month. It, uh, it is the one with the, the most increased conversion rate or margin attribution, you know, some of our top uh, goals. Yeah. And this is just like to adding a little bit spice and a small like fun competition in there, like a friendly competition thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's also like a good, you know, at TUI, we have different websites today for like Germany, Belgium, Sweden, etc. And this is also a very good like learning thing for the other markets to see, oh, you did this in like the search result, then probably all the markets should prioritize that one for next month. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, and copy and revalidate those uh, those experiments from other countries. Yeah, exactly. And then we have like a, from that now we have a great prioritization list with like winning tests through months uh, that we can follow up on. So it just gets bigger. I'd say, and you get a better view also around like different markets, what work and what doesn't work uh, between yeah. different markets, but also very good and stable prioritization list. And I mean, the best data you could have there is like, well, this is actually the same company that you're in, but in a different market, you should yeah. probably test it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you already, do you remember 
Um, any examples of that? That things that worked in one market market and didn't work in another market, or there, I would say everything. <laughs> that, well, mean, that's also a good learning, right? So to, to revalidate everything in different markets, yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, tests that we have been doing the same ones in like UK and Nordics, or or in Belgium and UK and so on, they always have slightly differ in results. Yeah. Me having worked with like the Nordics also for three years, you know, we're saying the Nordics, but it's actually for individual markets. It's yeah. uh, Finland, Norway, Sweden, and Denmark. And we always have different results. But saying that, if you would, for example, go to the market then of UK, you could also say, okay, so UK has one result. That's not really true either. Because if you drill down into demographics of UK, you will then get other results. Yep. And within those groups, you have other results. So it's just a matter of how far do you want to drill it down and what results will you look at, right? That's why we have personalization, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> basically. Exactly. Yeah. So we, we, we earlier spoke about uh, leaving things out of, um, uh, out of the things that you, that you report uh, to stakeholders uh, if, if they're not educated enough, uh, depending on, on the level that they are at. Uh, is it similar with the monthly dashboard? Are there things that are specifically not in there? So the things we uh, show in the monthly dashboard, it's very narrow. It's actually only these like main KPIs that we do have. And then it's the link to the presentations that we now have shown them because everyone can join it. And uh, we want to create that yeah. buzz and awareness and engagement from people, but it doesn't have to be that detailed. So these presentations that we show are more like those have a storyline uh, which is like easier to understand for, for anyone and just more, more of an inspiration, basically not, not that like yeah. digging deep into the data for those ones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So Marianne, thank you so much for sharing these uh, six uh, tips with us. Uh, so my final question for you would be, if you have any, do you have any books that you'd like to uh, tip to our audience? Oh yeah. I have one favorite book uh, of all times. Uh, yeah. it's called the design of everyday things. Ah, yeah. From, uh, Have you uh read Don it? Norman, Don Mor Norman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I think I read it at university and since then I've read it like five times, I think. Ah. Uh, it's also one of these books where you kind of understand how stuff works from the beginning. Why do I understand to reach for a handle and how do I understand to push a door? And somehow that book gave me clarity to understand and put words on what doesn't work. Yeah. And I could actually understand what the problem is instead of only feeling frustration. And I think that kind of, that is exactly the same what CRO is, but with digital devices. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, the, um, uh, the book, we will definitely link to the book uh, in, the, in the show notes uh, of the podcast. And I think the book is already, it's quite old already, right? It has nothing. Yeah, to, it it has nothing to do with the internet. <laughs> no, nothing. They're talking about doors and lamps yeah. <laughs> and everything. But you can kind of figure out yourself and understand the connection between them. And that has, for me, been a very good exercise that I did from the book. Actually, taking these words like affordance, for example, taking that from the physical word uh, world and putting it into the digital one to understand myself. Yeah. How how are those going to map together? Exactly. Yeah. A quick search uh, uh, told me that the publication date is 1988. So yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> that, that's great. It's so just, it's 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 the yeah. same principles, right? And also trying to explain that uh, to people uh, when I explain. So I, I have a background in psychology. How do you apply that online? And indeed, the 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 study had nothing to do with online, but it's still human behavior. Exactly. Um, it's still the, the a lot of the same principles apply, uh, and the nuances are are different here and there. And of course, we have. Uh, a lot more data online, that's, which is great. Uh, but it's still human behavior that we're looking at and trying to optimize for. Yeah, I think you, to like go back to where we started with this talk, like you have to understand how the stuff works from exactly. the, the lowest building blocks to really understand why we are behaving as we are right now. Yeah, I think that's a great summary. <laughs> Marianne, thank you so much. Uh, good luck with what you do, and uh, uh, good luck with um, uh, yeah the whole situation uh, with uh, within uh, travel and uh, tourism. I hope it uh, will recover fast, 
uh, fast enough to uh, for you to at least uh, start rebuilding uh, your team. Yeah, thank you so much, and thank you for having me. Thanks. Bye bye. And that brings us to the special new section I mentioned in the intro. Our sponsor Content Square has quite some clients and quite some data on things like traffic, session time, uh, transactions and conversion rates split over 20 industries and a couple of other dimensions. And the amazing thing is that they have put all of this in a public dashboard and they are closely monitoring the effects of the pandemic on e-commerce, giving us some very detailed insights how these different industries are affected. So from this week onward, they will have a small section in the podcast in which they will update us on the latest developments. Say hello to Cheert van der Putten from Content Square. To provide understanding during this uncertain time, we are monitoring the impact of coronavirus on online consumer behaviors. Every week, we analyze billions of online sessions across 900 websites to understand online behavior and to see what trends are unfolding across all industries this week. To understand the impact of the crisis on traffic, transactions, page views and more, we've compared data from the past week to the period immediately preceding the global reporting of the outbreak, or the first six weeks of the year, which we call the reference period. Here is what we serviced the past week. Generally speaking, it seems the story this week is stabilization. We've seen a steady growth as digital continues to be the only store which has started to level off this week. Here are three key stats. Traffic overall continues to grow steadily, if slowly, with a 2.5% increase compared to 2% the previous week. This steady growth over the past two months has resulted in a 29% increase in the number of site visits since before lockdown. Transactions globally and cross industries has grown by a massive 48% since the first quarantine orders. And after an initial period of rapid growth, the conversion rate has now stabilized at around 15 to 20% above normal pre-COVID-19 levels. So we're seeing growth that has significantly exceeding the numbers we are seeing pre-COVID. And this week's stabilization can start to give us an idea of what the new normal will look like for online brands. Now we will take a quick deep dive into three industries that have had some interesting trends this week and examples from brands who are getting it right. The luxury industry has had some interesting peaks this week. Luxury brands were one of the first to be affected when COVID first spread through, through China. The country whose citizens accounted for 90% of global luxury market growth in 2019. However, the industry has started to take a turn. Luxury brands have seen a 5% increase in visits to their sites the past week and a 90% boost in the volume of transactions. We have seen many of our luxury clients launch corporate social responsibility messaging with brands such as Tiffany & Co. Burberry and Bellstaff implementing strong homepage campaigns. Bellstaff, a luxury British clothing brand, are offering to donate a jacket for every jacket bought on their site to the homeless. They ran a homepage campaign which has resulted in a huge increase of interactions with the content and users who interacted with the content were 40% more likely to purchase. It's been great to see all the different social initiatives luxury brands have been launching and it seems to be paying off. A win-win for both customer and the community. Second up is travel. It's been the hardest affected industry by far, but this week we have seen signs of growth and recovery. Travel and tourism companies are starting to see an increase in time spent by users on their website this week although still 25% below normal. But this is a great sign for companies that users are starting to consider transacting again. This industry has taken the hardest hit in terms of transactions, with a steep drop of 88% over the whole COVID period. However, the last three weeks we've seen an improvement, with an increase of transactions of 14% this week as lockdown rules are loosened and users are more hopeful. 
this is a great time to start encouraging your customers to start booking for future dates. Many of our clients have launched summer 2021 campaigns with great engagement rates. Lastly, moving on to an ever popular industry during this time, supermarkets. Supermarkets e-commerce has had the most dramatic story of all. From a spike pre-quarantine of three times normal traffic to massive conversion rate decline due to delivery and supply chain issues with brands now responding to these changes. This week, supermarket websites continue to see a traffic surge with a 133% boost. But more interestingly, transactions are seeing a peak significantly for home and do-it-yourself, tech and sport products. Conversion rate suffered a cut of 50% back in March, but has recovered since then and this week we are at just minus 13% below the pre-COVID levels. We've seen some really interesting innovations by supermarket brands. For example, Tesco in the UK have a back to shelf button, which displays when products are out of stock, reassuring users that similar items are available. This is a common theme we have seen in, the, in this industry with COVID delivery and product reassurance playing a huge part in reducing user frustration. So that's all from us this week. If you want to see KPIs for your industry, be sure to check out Content Square's COVID-19 e-commerce impact data hub. It's updated every Monday with the freshest behavioral data across all sectors. Thanks so much, Jared, for sharing this. Uh, very interesting stuff. And uh, yeah, if you want to explore the data yourself, the link to the dashboard can be found in the show notes. This was season two, episode 19 of Zero Cafe with Marianne Gianval from the TUI Group. And in case you're interested, Marianne will also be speaking at Digital Elite Day in London on September 29th. More info on that can be found on digitaleliteday.co.uk. And as always, the show notes of this episode can be found on our website, zero.cafe. Although we started out as a Dutch podcast, we are putting out more and more English content. And if you want to skip all the Dutch gobbledygook, please go to zero.cafe slash English to see an overview of our English episodes and to subscribe to get notified about new English episodes. If you're interested in promoting your products or services to the best zero specialist in the world, please take a look at zero.cafe slash partner to see how we can collaborate. Talk to you next week and always be optimizing.